Annyeong haseyo, Tim. Whoa. Hello, Ryan. Hello again. Hi. Hello to you, Timothy, and hello to everyone listening. Welcome to Dismembering Horror, episode 107 of Dismembering Horror, the podcast show where myself, Ryan McDuffie, and myself, Tim Aslan, closing drawers. That's right. We talk about what worked for us, what did not work for us, and anything else we found interesting or noteworthy. Whether you agree or not, that's part of the fun. We don't care. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah. I mean, an aspect of me getting in a heated debate of something that I'm passionate about, which was funny, Tim. I realized didn't much happen. You know, we had one of our rare, like, disparate reviews where I gave an avoid and you gave a rent to Demon. That's true. We didn't really, (laughs) yeah, we seem to agree on it in the end, which is so funny. I mean, yeah, I would like, I would watch it again. I'd watched it before. I would watch it again. Yeah, I I guess. I think it's worth renting for me. Yep. You know, Spooky Dan liked it. (laughs) Perfect example. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But he said he liked it for the same reason I did. Yeah, you know, it's like he fo- focused in on that sort of the allegory th- stuff and like really dug it. So I'm with that. Ugh. And I was just so bored. And as I talked, <laughs> and as we were just talking about uh, the Darren Aronofsky movie Mother before this started, and as he just said, like the allegory being too obvious is what held it so back for in you. Your face. Yeah. And for me, I just wasn't even thinking about it or caring. It was just well, that's. I mean, (laughs) you you sit down and watch a movie to like really immerse yourself and like just like buy in. Yeah. And I tend to watch a movie for mostly that, but also to like really watch the filmmaking and the storytelling and like why it's good. Yeah, I mean, that's why I hope for it to be good for that, you know, like within that realm. Right. So it's just slightly different. I mean, I can view. I can say that's my a lot of the times my secondhand viewing of something or I, you know, mm-hmm. I, as as I go on seeing something more times then I'm kind of doing both more. But yeah, yeah. When I hear a song for the first time, just take me away to this this new beautiful place. Or in the case of horror films. Interesting horror, ifying those dark places where we uh, want to look, but maybe shan't. Anyways. Speaking of dark places, what do you think of this lighting on me right now? It's kind of ominous. I don't know. What do you listeners think? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me too. Don't yeah. you think that we we should someday just start like, uh, what do you call it? Just like video recording our conversation and and let people watch us talk <laughs> i mean we we thought about it but it's just that we record them so far ahead of the episode but i don't know yeah maybe could start doing it funny uh but 
for you listeners at home, Tim is indeed shadowed on two thirds of his face about, mm. which is very appropriate for a film that we watched today. The film that we watched for today from 2009, Thirst. And I say it's appropriate because it's a vampire film. That's and right. The type of vampires, uh, not like uh, what's uh, the, the 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 transfiguration. He can go out in the daylight. He is just really just acting like a vampire. These are you know for most part these are supernatural vampires we're dealing with and thirst. Pretty pretty legit vampires. I, I think yeah. there's only <clears throat> two. Well, and we don't get a reference to the third, but two of the big things that, you know, vampire lore has, they they choose not to depict. So, like, you can see his reflection and uh, the religious iconography, uh, iconography it, doesn't put him off. Exactly. Which, yeah. Those I don't know. Two big things. <laughs> which would be interesting for a priest to try to go through that. Well, but, you know, I've seen... Recently, that Dracula miniseries or whatever series that was on, they they have a whole thing where he like hangs out with a nun and somebody tries to like pull a cross up and he just kind of laughs at them. He's like, that shit doesn't work. Cool. I still want to watch. <laughs> I that. love that. I remember you recommended that. Yeah, I that's still, good. Still want to watch it. Uh, so, yeah, Thirst from 2009, the Korean title, Bak Jui, which literally means bat. Oh, um, cool. There you, there you go. All right. Well, if you're ready to get into it, Tim, should we start with our trailer here and get into it? Yeah, let's. All right. Again, from 2009, Thirst. <laughs> Hey, all right, there you have it. Pretty cool, Tim. I'm excited. We're talking about a Park Chan Wook film. Uh, you I mean like you mean like one of, if not the greatest director living and working today? <laughs> so I wanted to check up with each of our uh, respective histories and what we've seen of his filmography. So I oh, have that's seen. That's a good question. I have seen um, of the Vengeance trilogy, Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance, of course, Old Boy. And but I have not seen Lady Vengeance, which my good friend, who's a listener of the show, as he put it when I told him that, you haven't seen Lady Vengeance? <laughs> um, I, I meant to watch it before recording, but uh, it didn't happen. But I will watch it soon. I really want to. Um, and then, of course, Thirst. I actually saw this film. And one of the reasons I wanted to revisit it was because it came out in 2009. So a good decade ago, I'd really been wanting to see it again. Mm. And uh, just kind of remembered bits and pieces. It was interesting what my selective memory, how it how it remembered it. Yeah. Um, and of course, The Handmaiden, though, Tim, when that came out, like, I just became so obsessed. And I, I still, it's one of my, like, you know, it's, it'd probably make the top of my decade list for me. Um, so right on Park Chan-wook. 
And uh, how about you, Tim? Let's see. I've seen Old Boy. Well, now this. Stoker, which I fucking loved. <laughs> cool. <laughs> uh, Snowpiercer I've seen. I've only seen the first of the... Wait, he didn't do Snowpiercer. He didn't direct it. <clears throat> or write it. Oh, he just produced it? Huh. Well, he was involved, so that's great. <laughs> uh, but uh, Handmaiden, I've only watched the first story. What? What? I know. <laughs> I got I to gotta watch the rest. Uh, and that's it. Oh, so you haven't seen the first or third of the Vengeance trilogy? I have not. Cool. I mean, I mean, understood. Uh, but we should we got we got to remedy our blind spots here, and I'm glad we could do uh, one of them via our show for you. Yeah. Uh, so we've watched the trailer. Uh, we talked about what we're doing. How about in the next part we talk about how we rated it per our rating system? Would Tim and I tell ourselves to avoid it, rent, stream it? Sorry, rent it or buy it? Uh, how about you, Tim? Let's Let's see. It's um well I'm pretty sure I would buy this. Yeah. <laughs> cool. I mean, uh, can you get a super quick uh why why you're landing at that? What's your review summary? Um, in review, it's amazing. It is also, hmm. I mean, it's, I don't know where to begin. It, it, it's just such a, it's such a cool version of a vampire story, but it's not just a vampire story. In fact, it's less a vampire story, I think, than a sort of, a relationship story in Perfect. a lot of ways. Great. And just I, wanted, lo- I love all of that. Just wanted, yeah, great. The reason I, I sort of hesitated at all to say it's a buy is kind of irrelevant. It's, it, it, there's some stuff in it that I was, uh, we'll obviously talk about, but that I was a little like lost on for a while. And then I and then I kind of I caught up, yeah. So I don't think that really counts. That's why I was like, I don't think I should even use that as a mark against it, to be honest. Because you just watch it again and you would get it <laughs> right. I <laughs> it's like, and I want to watch it again. So right, I I went to it. Yeah, I went through a pretty similar trajectory. I think where I uh, I feel like just as of this morning, giving it the day, I went from a rent it to a buy it just because. Yeah, I, I don't know. This was my second time watching it. I loved it, of course, way more than the first time because of that exact reason. You know, you're able to take in a lot more. Um, But it was so long ago, I wouldn't say that was necessarily in full effect. But any sort of little things holding me back this time, like you said, just sort of maybe missing stuff. And then, uh, I don't know, maybe I'll, you know, as far as what doesn't work, we'll get to as far as this specific viewing. But like it, I wouldn't say it was like slow burn in that sense, but it did just feel like there was maybe like a lack of like a kind of uh, sense of sense of we're building to something. Yeah. Um, 
but <clears throat> but then I just like I just but revel so hard in everything that's in it, and I think that will only become less of a thing as I watch it more because it is just so packed and just so packed with cool stuff. And yeah. just because it is, I mean, it's 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 Park Man. I mean, I'd be happy just to have his his you know um, relatively relatively. I don't even know if it's relatively few and far between, but his filmography isn't too overwhelming. So uh, might oh, as well no, yeah. get a copy for the shelf. Especially yeah. compared to everything else we've been watching. I mean, we see a lot of good stuff as we've seen on the show, but just relative to other horror films too, you know? Sure, sure. He has such a style that I feel like I right. just don't think anybody comes close to. It's so his style. And like kind of you were saying where, you know, or I guess I was saying earlier, where like once I see a film more than once, I'll start paying attention and to the filmmaking mm-hmm. itself more. And boy, how do you, man, there's some just things I really want to <laughs> soak up and inject in me in this. Oh my God. Yeah. That I want to sink my teeth into. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I feel like we could spend a long time in the what worked just talking about individual moments. Absolutely. Like, it's wild to me how effective certain very, very subtle things are. But there's this, like, I think the thing that's so amazing about him and his, as a director, is his ability to imbue very, very simple and and sometimes even what would normally be a totally innocuous moment with this like sweeping uh sort of impactfulness mhm that just mm-hmm. i i've spent a lot of this movie just going whoa like what <laughs> like holy shit who even thinks to like put that little detail in or that little camera move yeah. or whatever the 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 thing was that we will talk about well, wow. Uh, I got to see Lady Vengeance and Stoker, and you really got to see, well, the first and third Vengeance and my yeah. favorite, The Handmaiden. Yeah, I got my work cut out for me. I love Stoker. Cool. I'm excited to see it. It okay. was one of those movies that you I just stumbled upon one day as a total. I was like, oh, I wonder what this is, and turned it on. I was like, oh, holy fuck. <laughs> Well, uh, since we got a lot of what we want to say about what worked, let's uh, try to get our summary out of the way here. Oh, shit. Uh, okay, ready? Here we go. There's a priest, and he uh, he's sort of having a little crisis of faith, maybe. Like, maybe a little, I don't know if I want to do this kind of thing. And so he goes to a, I guess, sort of like a research facility for people with or to help people with a particular virus. The Emmanuel virus. Yeah. And I guess what what this is this was the phase of the movie that I I was playing catch up on. But so correct me if I'm wrong. He goes there to be a volunteer to be infected with the virus so they can try and come up with a cure? Yes. Okay. In doing so, which is, is he's essentially going in as a martyr because the odds are not in one's favor, according based on what he right, knows. Right. right. So but I think that, that's so important he, too. It was essentially like a form of suicide. That's right. Oh yeah, that's right. There's this whole thing about suicide and how it's a sin and et cetera, et cetera. Um. So he here's here's what I didn't 
follow for the next 15 minutes of the movie. (laughs) (laughs) He gets a blood transfusion at some point, and it's vampire blood. Yes. Cool. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, eventually you go, oh, okay, that's what happened. But I don't remember the, like, any sort of tip of the hat to that happening necessarily. I don't necessarily either. And that's honestly, I pre he's, he just sort of tests our limits on, um, I (laughs) I should save this for what worked, but we're, you know, we're so used to a cut. I I don't know. I'll save it for later. Whatever. You probably get where I'm going. (laughs) Um, so in, in, you know, so then he effectively dies and comes back to life because of the vampire blood and it, and it quote unquote cures him of this Emmanuel virus. Right. Because he's a vampire. And then he realizes over the next some number of days or whatever that that he has to um, drink blood and the virus, like the symptoms of the virus go away. Yep. Which and leads so, him to realize he's a vampire. <laughs> and so, uh, and then, I'll, yeah. Uh, and then what happens is basically he becomes known as this sort of um, figure amongst these, uh, amongst the, the Catholic religious Christian groupings. Right. Of he's he's the chosen one in a sense, and they assign that he has some sort of healing power or will of faith to do that to heal. And so some of the people that reach out to him are his old his old childhood friend who he was kind of neighbors with or something. He'd go over yeah. to their house and they invite him to start joining their weekly mahjong games, dominoes. And um he we we learned that they're kind of just the the mother and his childhood friend are just super abusive as she puts it taking care uh, they're treating uh his wife and um the mother's mother's daughter or no no not not actual daughter but well she's an orphan that they took in right thank you yeah so that's um taiju young they raise as their daughter slash sister but then when they're adults, they just have her marry the son. <laughs> right. <laughs> Which is a little So she's twisted. It's, it's a really yeah, it is a genuinely twisted situation, abusive situation that Tai Zhu is the young wife um that's in. And so Sang Hyung is our Catholic priest, the guy or the vampire. And he and her get caught up in a a wild love affair. She and doesn't know he's a vampire. <laughs> she then she eventually becomes a vampire, learns all about it, and they kind of um kind of because of their they are at different philosophical uh have different philosophical outfooks basically toward the whole thing. And there is like a 20-year age difference for them, which I think really comes to play in their mm-hmm. respective outlooks. Um wow, and, it's 20 years. Yeah. And um hmm. Yeah, he's early 40s, she's early 20s. Jesus. And um but they both they, they both have overlap and non-overlap. They're basically both him being a priest and her never having a healthy relationship are mm. very repressed in that sense. Yet right. he's had 20 years more to kind of make peace with that almost. Yeah, and that makes him basically a better vampire. Right. And just her more situ- disciplined. Yeah, and just her situation of being in this abusive situation, like her just outlook is just totally screwed up on just <laughs> yes. how to deal with people and good and evil and all that stuff. 
But anyway, they both, um, yeah, uh, unpack that repression together. They're both vampires. They deal with it in different ways, and they go up in a uh, not quite a blaze of glory. Well, and I think one one major detail thing and kind of crux of how their relationship turns is that she convinces um, Sang-young to kill her husband. Right, right. <laughs> she, yeah, she's she manipulates the situation basically. She fakes her uh, she fakes abuse, fakes fakes physical abuse that right. It's really interesting because it's, I mean, just as far as the comparison of physical versus non-physical abuse, how those overlap, intersect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And anyways, well, we'll get and into how it, it fucks you up. Yeah. Like it fucks up how you, you know, how you process and like, you know, your bound your boundaries have always been screwed up by that experience. So your ability to to see and maintain your own healthy boundaries is, is skewed. It's, it's been screwed with. And let's use that as a transition to get into here. Our first section. You ready for it, Tim? I'm always ready. <laughs> what worked? It worked like a charm, Smith. What worked? Yeah, I mean, what? This, yeah, just to kind of segue from what you're seeing. What's so fascinating, though, you know, they're 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 different way. They're they're victims of circumstance, or if you want to put it that way, um, they they're both like very unlikable at times in this. You know what they're <laughs> yeah. doing, like extremely. The way it's like, it, but but at the same times. Like, I don't know, you know, he was like losing me when he's throwing her around at the end. Yeah. And um, the way that she, you know, God is faking that abuse to then kill someone. She's committing, you know, willing murder, which Mm -hmm. we're more with the priest uh, in his sort of uh, reluctance to uh, the, the reluctant approach he takes for feeding on blood. Oh, yeah. We should mention the outline. They sort of have to feed on blood or they uh that virus starts manifesting again right um, and, and and the virus the symptoms and ultimate like result of the virus is that your body essentially just decomposes like you kind of just fall apart like sort of like leprosy but not not quite oh or i like mean boils and stuff oh god i mean i I watched the commentary t- or I had the commentary on and like when I was eating lunch and it's just like seeing those boils just like, <laughs> yes, nobody wants that. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, that's, but the, yeah, as far as these, these very flawed characters and just sort of how we're empathizing or not with them at any given point and just constantly wrestling with that, that's like, that's just, you know, what I kind of want from a horror movie in so many ways. Well, yeah. I mean, I think one of the things that is this movie does so successfully, and I think all of his movies that I've seen do, <clears throat> is characters that are incredibly complicated, neither really, like, inherently good or bad they're just they're complicated and they they are going through a complicated struggle and the way that 
he is able to show characterization around the leads to to kind of be a reflection of different aspects of that complication to like either enhance it or sort of to like give you a touchstone to to like what is okay and not okay that is a that's a crazy crazy skill to me to be able to do that and in such a uh in such a complex manner I mean, and that's, still have it be. It comes off so simply too. That's the thing that's sort of amazing to me about it. Well, that's just he seems just to have a predilection towards if you know we're so used to films painting things as you know there's clear lines between good and bad, black and right. white. He's he's the other end of the spectrum. Yeah, uh, it's a mess. He he, he, he draws us. Yeah, he <laughs> he only paints us as gray. You know. Yeah. Um, and that's it's it's interesting it's refreshing and unique to his work indelible to his work and uh it just works so well in in horror yeah yeah i mean i think since we're talking about character <clears throat> the in this movie how complex the two leads are and how moment to moment like we love and hate them kind of all the time yeah (laughs) part of why it's you know that is the case is that those two the performances of those two actors are outrageously good like i there are moments that that the actress has that i I was just like who the fuck who is this like right (laughs) holy shit she is kim akbin Dude, and she is she's unbelievable. I, like uh, ability to go from like I mean, her character has this metamorphosis through it. But like even in the beginning when she seems to be kind of like what would you call that? She's very seemingly kind of shy and introverted and kind of like that, beaten uh, down. Yeah, I beaten down. She just seemed me as like she just seemed dead inside and you know, but there are little tiny moments early on that she has these little glimmers of something else. Yeah. Yeah. And you go, Whoa, what was that? And then like way later in the movie when she's totally kind of reversed all of that and she's like full, full on. Right. Dude, that like grin that she had, like (laughs) at one point he, she's, she's killing one of the Mahjong player friends and he grabs her by the neck and holds her in the air and she is smiling like this Cheshire grin thing. And I'm like, dude, I don't even recognize this person. Like right. what is Sa- happening? Sang hung her lover. The priest is holding her by the neck, not one of the victims. Yeah, correct. Yeah, it is wild. I mean, her there. She does this one thing at one point when they discover that she and he ha- are the killers of of the of the son. uh Slash her ex-husband or whatever. You know, the mother discovers. Yeah. The group of players are all like, oh, shit. Like, we've, we, you guys killed him. (laughs) And she does this, like, the, the other woman in the room, like, starts to scream and cry. And she, (laughs) she does this whole, like, it's almost like a, a mime act where she's like, she like cries and then laughs and then like shrugs her shoulders and like kind of make like pantomime makes fun of her 
in and you're like what what was all that it's all just this weird like it's like when a kid doesn't know how to deal with their emotions and they kind of act out and like there's how, just it's right. just a, it's an amazing performance i mean deal with emotions but that's I mean, again, like no clear line of black and white. So many themes going on in this, but one of them that they do bring up, like at the ending, I think the last line is like when they're about to get sunned and and fried. Like, well, mm. what do we do now? We enjoy our last moment is essentially what they say. So so there's that interesting line of like, you, we see that's what she's doing when, even though these are, I mean, she's just, she probably just deeply hates all these people, you know, she's with, but then also not. She again, not, not clear cut. She deeply hates them, but we see her say, you know, oh, but my mother, she always fed me as if, you know, she always loves her also because of that. Um, yeah. But that that way that you're describing, yeah, where she just kind of acts where she's goes from laughing to screaming, you know, in response to the other Mahjong player other young wife screaming it's like she is just in that child like sense just pure making the most of the moment you know <laughs> yeah she's yeah. having she's trying to have the most fun with whatever is going on and that's you know not just in the sexual repression that's sort of what's going on in the sense too she just hasn't been herself all these that's years right yeah and i think that's that's one of the really probably the most kind of interesting aspects of this movie is is watching her exercise exorcise her repression which i this is i mean a, a, this is probably a theme that's my favorite that we've talked about before because i'm always, always thinking about this kind of thing but that you know the closest we are to to our our child selves the more maybe, you know, the less mired we are in sort of unhelpful patterns and beliefs. Maybe the the easier it is to sort of appreciate and slip into the present moment, let our emotions come. Um, but then, of course, you know, there's important things we learn, too, as we grow up so we can all exist <laughs> and function. So it's just, again, that not clear line. I just love of, like, how good is it that she's able to be this way and how bad is it that she's able to be this way you know it sort of makes us look at ourselves in that sense yeah well and the genius of the two leads as characters is like any good kind of protagonist and i guess you could call her the antagonist to a certain degree um not exactly or not traditionally but whatever What's great about them as a pair is that they're the same they have the same basic experience but what like he chose to be repressed she did not so it's forced repression versus a choice of repression and so watching those two interact and and deal with the same essential issue of how do we exercise this repression from those two different very different point of views is really the movie and ultimately like makes it so cathartic for them to to land where they land which is like we can't we just have to not exist anymore is this only the second sex scene that we've had i can only think of um hmm. the 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 mickey rourke one. <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> maybe because 
talk about memorable sex scenes, man. Like where that that first time where it actually gets halted. It's so funny when the 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 yeah. mom calls in, but they're <laughs> just they're just being unbridled for the first time ever, and we're witnessing it. And they are at those two different. They're at that same diff, but yet different place that right. you just described, and to see that play out in just in yeah and just having sex for the first time it's like oh it's so good it's so good and then following through that just their whole courtship is incredible absolutely i really really appreciated the the you know relationship romantic relationship like component of this movie i mean it is a large component a lot (laughs) of the movie but like all of the supernatural stuff aside and and even all like in other words their individual circumstances aside which is kind of hard to do cuz it's a part of the story but whatever just their individual interactions as two people who are into each other mhm every one of them i'm like compelled by mhm i'll tell you what the moment that really made me go holy fuck this movie i mean there were a few before this but this one was was it when she is out running barefoot and she runs into him in the street and they're like you know they're down the the street from each other and she kind of stands there for a moment and then kind of like half covers herself up like Sort of in, I don't know, like in, what would you call that? Like, uh, not embarrassment, but sort of like uh, well, she, it's, modesty it's, or whatever. Right, right. But then she turns around and she starts to run away. And he, vampire, like swoops up behind her and <laughs> lifts her up. <laughs> so her feet just sort of like rise up off the ground. And his feet are behind it. And he slips his shoes off and slips her, like drops her into the shoes the way that that is shot is so incredibly beautiful but just the the like not message but just the visual of that like the mm. the the what what am i trying to say the 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 meaning behind that of this person giving his shoes to her because she's had these bare feet that she runs on that are calloused. Right. Is, it like, that's, that's like the top pinnacle of like romance, like movie romance expression that like hits me. And then it tops itself by using that as setup for the perfect ending. I know. I know the, when they, oh, dude, the, when she put those shoes on at the end, I was like, this movie is, yeah. This fucking movie. <laughs> <laughs> and then of Give course, me a break. I mean, just to skip around. And then the last shot was where, it's so brilliant because we don't actually see their fried bodies. So like, yeah, they've, I mean, just maybe just to get out of the way, just cause that whole end chunk is just, is just like 10 out of 10, just yeah. off to the races, but sort of jump to the end of the end when um, he sort of decides for both of them, you know, and that's again, morally conflicted. Uh, we both should not live. I want us to both. I, he's looks at as probably, I am committing suicide for us, you know? Yeah. <laughs> as well, and it makes sense for him to be the one to do that because it's, it's, it's a very kind of misplaced version of religious ideology, right? Like 
my yeah. my belief in this is so strong that like other people not believing it or not thinking the same way is a conflict for for him right and just um the the end sequence is just that perfect encapsulation of just these two extreme things happening and those things being their love yet their tussle that they and their sort of <laughs> yeah. you know fight for survival that's happening at the same time where we get it's this incredible beautifully lit sequence too they have that perfect yeah. like right before the sun comes up lighting the mom they bring there in the back of the seat the invalid mother <laughs> just for some reason i don't it's great i don't know why but it's this great they have her there to watch basically and he um <laughs> They have this whole, yeah, so he's there to basically give him no chance, to watch the sun come up, give them no chance of um, hiding in the shade. And uh, she, (laughs) but uh, as she learns that, he, you know, she puts herself in the trunk, yada, yada, he does not let it happen. He just kind of, the way he just kind of calmly, you know, will, okay, well, she she took the trunk back after I ripped it off, so now I'm just going to calmly just walk over to throw it away, and she'll run up and kick him while he's about to do that. Yeah, like, she breaks his arm yeah. while he's doing that, and he's just, like, expressionless, like, come on. He's so resigned. But then uh, we, but we finally get to, after this sort of back-and-forth fighting, where she finally resigns and sits with him in the front of the car, and we, you know, sort of they they reaffirm their love for each other mm. and die as the way vampires can. And we just have that perfect last shot where actually we don't reveal their full bodies, but we see her in those same shoes that were set up in the sequence you just described. Uh, the weight of them pulls the the burnt feet off and dissipates. That's great. Great last Yeah, shot. I just realized too, you know, not that this is a, a, a hard and fast like reference or anything, but it sort of still has this uh, a sim- a symbolic nature to it. When, when she's sort of first learning to kill and she, she ends up sucking one of the bodies uh, of blood and, and then, it stops being it stops coming out and she's kind of like what the fuck and he's like yeah you you know once the heart stops beating the blood won't pump out of the neck so i've found that you have to just hang them over the bathtub and cut off their ankles and it'll drain out because of gravity right and so you have these two bodies later they have a shot of them with no no feet just hanging there and there's not that this is like some greater meaning, but just that imagery and like having it be a similar thing of how they end up dying or like their state when they are dead. You know, it's little things like that where I'm like, dude, (laughs) it's just, it's so complete Mm -hmm. from so many angles. Well, I just kind of try to list out here. What are all the rich themes at play? We have sort of suicide, uh, you know, versus immortality, abuse, Versus self-actualization, if that you want to compare those, uh, religion and just sort of, uh, wor- you know, worship or idolizing. Guilt. Love, yeah. Guilt. <laughs> Love. I mean, they ki- there's a whole sequence of, of how they respond to having killed the husband, right? They both right. have these, like, really intense haunting fantasies of him. Well, he essentially haunts them. For right. the next, I don't know, 20 minutes. It's Oh, and it's incredible because we get this sort of like, 
super crazy weirdness, like ghost movie just kind of creeps in towards it. Oh, and it's just so... God, and it's just, I mean, like anything you'd want from a sort of ghost story. Is this, are they seeing this? Are they ghosts? Like, what is going on here? It's well, in the best creates, of ways. It creates that other sort of question of, like, she she even brings it up. She's like, you know, do you blame the fox for killing the chicken, right? Or, or it's something to that effect. Maybe it's a wolf or whatever. But And it's like a lot of their victims, well... I mean, he obviously tries not to kill anybody. I mean, he starts off with saying, this is uh, the the only person I'm seeking blood from who's in a coma is such a giving person. I know he'd be okay with it. Yeah, you should hear this story about the yellow cake. Yeah. <laughs> that cracked me the fuck up. Because uh, I remember like, when the movie started and that like story was being told, I was sort of like, what a weird story. <laughs> 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 and getting it to come back around is just I love that stuff so much. <laughs> yeah. But once they start killing, you know, all bets are kind of off, but it's for them to feed, right? That version of killing, they're not haunted by any of those people. Yeah. But the version of killing that is really unjust, like they murdered that dude just because of their selfish desires. That's a different kind of, of of guilt and it or different type of killing. And the guilt because of that has a strong impact on them. Mm-hmm. And I think stuff like that, like the nuance of that, where it's not just like, oh, yeah, you know, we're vampires and we kill people and like whatever, whatever. It's like there's meaning behind each version of the evil or or shitty things that people do in the world right like Mm -hmm. there's there's nuance and circumstance and you know like all of the like the complexity that is in the motivation and the and the causality of the characters you know actions is is really deep and right awesome that's a big big aspect of um Park's work is uh, repercussions for actions, for yeah. sure. <laughs> Seeing that play out. Um, I mean, yeah, I mentioned too, we had, I mean, I already said the theme immortality, but specifically too, the idea of life after death, you know, which is a different theme right, when you right. get into it for mortality, where it's so fascinating, where she's just like, at the ending, you know, when you die, you die, but he's all questioning, um, you know, still ideas of heaven or hell. Right. And I mean, really, that just boils down to the ideas behind faith and like whether or not you want to believe in a certain thing. (laughs) And and it feeds into her where she's, you know, that's her. Yeah. uh, You know, as it plays out, feels like a young person's belief of that's why I have to make the most of every single moment and always be having fun because. Sure, yeah. This is all we have. There is no such thing as an afterlife, heaven or hell. Um, you know, yeah, I uh, <laughs> I tend to agree. Yeah. <laughs> well, but, I think it's more with, complicated with a, than that. It but. is, but with a caveat, it's not just a free for all, right. right? Like live it up. Here's my philosophy of life, religious or not. Live it up, but be a good person while you can. Right. Like golden rule in the, baby. in the living it up part, since we don't know what's going to happen, 
really do try to make the most of the being alive part. And that's where she's just, you know, young and an abuse and abused her whole life because right. she yeah. her reality only exists in a sense where people where it's dog eat dog, man eat man. Oh yeah. I mean so, dude. Yeah. That's where she's coming from when she kills her husband and, you know, lies in order to get him killed. It's, Can we just talk about the nature of that, like that family setup? <laughs> what do you want to say? Yeah. Well, look, I just think this is, again, how a director shows a, a person's circumstance is so important when we're getting to know character off the bat, right? And in one scene, he shows everything you need to know about this girl. Like how her family, the husband and the mother, are just the worst, the absolute yes. worst. Yes. It's it's amazing to to be able to get that across so efficiently, but also so impactfully. Like, there's... No doubt in anybody's mind within that that five minute scene or whatever it is that you despise that mother and son and you feel so much sympathy for her mm-hmm. just as a human being because you're like, I mean, oh, God, no. they she, they when she gets knocked over, they point and laugh like, oh, yeah. my God, even, even the even the setup of her falling onto the ground is there like. He's cold. Get him, get him his hot water. Like, get his hot water. And then when she gives it to him, he just, like, smacks the water aside. And he's like, well, instead of the water, why don't I get warm from you on my lap? And he, like, pulls her onto his lap and then just kind of, like, doesn't hold her there. He just lets her fall. And, like, that that move, that that, like, shittiness in that one moment says everything everything you need to know but right. then they double down on it by fucking laughing at her when she's on the ground uh it makes me hurt just hearing it does. you I recall mean, it's it so effective yeah so <laughs> that was the point where i was like okay i'm starting to get on board with what this movie is and where we're going mm-hmm. because up till then i was kind of confused <laughs> <laughs> right which is i was uh, like who what where, what, what's, where are we going? Actually, this? just to, just to get out of the way, something I started saying at the beginning is it's unique. Yeah. To his, his filmmaking. I mean, of course he's not the only one, but you know, when we, we sort of are so, we have a very specific movie language of a scene cuts out at a certain point cuts in. And then the next scene cuts in at a certain point, And then we, we fill in the gap. So, you, mm-hmm. you know, the classic, no, no way I'm ever going to do that. What was that in Insidious 4 with at the <laughs> beginning when she's trying to convince the two knuckleheads to, yeah. to help her? And she go, they go, no way we're ever going to do that. Uh-uh, forget it. And then cuts to, and then they're helping up her. In the RV. Yeah. And we go, oh, ho, 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 ho. <laughs> you you um, got us. There's the worst, you know, example of what I'm talking about. But here it's like <laughs> as if they cut out too early and in too early to really grasp what's happening. And that yes. happens with um, right when they decide to kill the husband. It's like, oh, yeah. they're like right in the middle of some kind of tussle or whatever and how it jumps to then all of a sudden he's captured and whatnot. I'm like, Whoa, wait, what? I felt like I was really, you know, had a lot of catch up to play in that moment, but yes, it's, it's, <laughs> 
And it's interesting because it's different from kind of like uh, a Kubrick or a Paul Thomas Anderson where just the whole movie just kind of jumps from here to there and Mm -hmm. takes on its own flow. This was like, it was subverting our expectations more specifically with that method, which is just like, God, what a trip to get on board with. Well, from a sort of traditional scene writing point of view, there, what what essentially is being done is, you know, you sort of set up a conflict and then you play the conflict out and you have a resolution, let's say, or not. But, like, those are sort of your key components. Right. Our, our, a scene is always protagonist, antagonist, inciting incident, desire, crisis, climax, resolution. Right. Give or take. <laughs> but what they're doing is they're actually, well, or... Park is doing he's kind of mixing up one key element that we usually hold on to which is setting mm-hmm. for the scene and so the the fishing thing is a good example because if i'm if i remember right the setup scene is in the bedroom right mm-hmm. she's laying there and and sang young comes in through the window and she's like no 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 you have to leave you have to leave Normally, we would see that play out, right? She's worried. Like, the conflict is he's in the room and her husband's going to wake up and discover him. And so we're going to see that play out in the room. Either he's not going to wake up and she gets him out of the room in time. He does wake up and they have a fight. Whatever. That's how it would sort of traditionally go if you were being really whatever. But what they do is they jumped to further along in that conflict and let us like they jumped over the actual conflict part. Right. That's what I meant to say. I said, yeah, cut in the middle of the tussle. No, they don't even show it. That's the idea. Right. And but what's genius is that if if you just look at the elements of what is happening, it still follows the structure. We just jump to a new location to have the conflict. So it's yeah. actually really efficient storytelling is what's happening. He's going, well, we don't need to double up on this conflict and have them explain themselves. Let's just get to the fucking fight. Ugh, so good. Which is a brilliant way to go about things, right? Because right. it just push. It also allows you to, in a weird way, it allows you to have more going on even though you're in a way trimming back and things it, that you would expect to be there. Right. And I mean, I just appreciate that too. Like get us to pay attention more, get us to sort of have to put things together, make me yeah. not just sort of waffle away, you know, and watching whatever movie that's, you know, not doing this, you know, <laughs> that's a weird, yeah, whatever. You like what, what I mean. Ryan? Um, <laughs> no, I'm I guess kidding. like most movies, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, but everything but, that's not as good as this. But the thing is, like, like to each their own. I mean, like, you know, Slither, mm-hmm. we both really enjoyed. Um, yeah, like different. great. But yeah, so that's that's more just very different things. Yeah, but that that you can't always do it. Yeah, some movies. It's it's. I guess to just maybe if I'm making any point, it's, it's there's never any hard and fast rule, you know. That way of storytelling and filmmaking f- does feel unique to to Park, to me. Yeah. Like, I think he really has mastered that 
way of re kind of structuring the the overarching scenes in a way that is both really interesting but you know keeps you on your toes yeah yeah it's playing I around mean, old boy does it constantly mm-hmm. it's um, fucking great so i mean it w- one thing i thought was so brilliant a little touch i appreciated uh was you know we have all these extreme black and whites let's say being explored um how we get that visually with you know their apartment i love the look of their apartment you know it's sort of dark blues greens browns yeah that's very that's very shark pin wookie too um but meanwhile you know but we have our uh uh taiju she's she's only built resentment to all that so much that when she's finally given uh the keys to the kingdom she paints the whole place white not just like oh i'm painting the walls white they paint everything (laughs) white yeah. And like light it with those sort of bright, intense, like fluorescent lights, too. Um, yeah, she even says, like, I want it to be as bright as the day in here. Yeah. And I just, oh my God, that's like a perfect visual encapsulation of these sort of black white themes at play because I. I am always like, you know, someone who, who I get both. I get the, when people have that compulsion, oh no, I just want it to be like, like when I, I moved into my little studio here, I remember when I first moved in, the woman showing me around with the building, she's like, she like sort of smiled inside at all the white walls, like, ah, just so nice and white in here. And I was like, <laughs> I was only feeling like, oh, it's, oh, it feels so like, white in here you know and then i painted you know my walls um (laughs) but i totally get both because then i've been in sort of very nice done all white places beautiful refreshing good light aesthetic and -hmm. then you know the the dark walls too i i dig i can see myself in either and it's just but then the thing is to have show us the extremes of both that gets us to be like just like all the other themes explored well where's the line when was this when did this become too white when was did how it looked before become too dark well and let's be honest nothing looks better than the brightest red blood splashed across a white floor. <laughs> yeah, that too. <laughs> okay, to, just to like wrap up, I mean, not to wrap up, but the whole, I mentioned the whole end chunk and we talked about the end sequence, but where this movie just sort of like, at least, you know, when on the second viewing, which again, I think I'll only like it more and more, but on the second viewing where, yeah, it I, I felt like, you know, I was almost kind of waiting for it to pick up at a certain point or to like all of a sudden really shoot into overdrive the whole movie, knowing that it must be building to something. As soon as he goes, he's out on the street and it's so great. They're talking to, they can whisper to each other and hear each other from outside on the street. And she's inside the apartment because they're vampire powers. Uh, As soon as he sees the Mahjong team, the players, the crew arriving, he goes, oh shit, it's my Mahjong night, right? That point on is just like yeah. where the move, where just everything is clicking 10 out of 10 with Park's sensibilities, the hue, the dark humor on display. Because we get this wonderful scene where it's like we have the mother who's now, you know, had her, um, her is it a seizure or whatever. It's a stroke or something. A stroke. Yeah. Thank you. A stroke. Um, yeah. She's, uh, invalid now. And, um, I don't know if that's the right word, but she can't move. Yeah. She, all she can do is blink and move her finger slightly. And so we know that she's 
that it's just tense. It's just tense in that way. And when I was talking about, you know, wanting to learn how something shot, blah, 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 or pick up on why something shot done so well, the filmmaking, that scene is when, God, I'm like, oh my God, look at all that's going on here where it's just like, you <laughs> yeah. know, that little bit of a camera room just for when she blinks this way because there's a certain kind of emphasis that's on his. She's blinking yes, two for yes, one for whatever. She's one, blinking. One to, for yes, two for no. Yeah, to bl- blinking to or communicate long, with them. long clothes for no, whatever. Right, right. Anyway, I mean, just that. That whole scene. And then once the ice finally breaks and they learn that they killed uh, the husband. Oh, my God. It's a very – that scene is a very kind of Hitchcockian scene of like – of the whodunit being found out. Yeah, yeah. In such a like clever and fun and like suspenseful way. And the way that the characters, the couple are – playing it off like ah, she's just tired or whatever like i love that because mm-hmm. you know that it's it's literally them like sweating and like pulling at their their like shirt uh what do you call that the the collar the collar yeah it's that sort of like vibe mm-hmm. but i will say there's one there is a moment leading up to that that i think is critical and one of the fucking coolest little details the reason the mother can move her finger at all because pr- right. prior to that, she cannot, <laughs> she is completely paralyzed. She cannot move in any way. The reason she can move her finger is because when the girl is preparing the orange juice for her in the morning, she just grates the tiniest little bit of her finger and a drop of blood a vampire blood lands in the orange juice and she just disregards it. But that's enough <laughs> power, I guess, yep. like vampire power to give the mom movement in her one finger. And that mm-hmm. is their undoing, right? Like that mistake or that sort of like casualness about it or innocence about it or whatever you want to call it on her part. Cause she like giggles about it when she sees that her finger heals She's like, oh, I'm a vampire. How cool. <laughs> like the, that setup for their demise is amazing. Right. And I mean, yeah, down to then when she feeds her, it's kind of like a ice blended orange juice or whatever. She lists like, so it's it's cold. She just lets it run down her throat too. You know, very. You would fucking choke. like, yeah. I would um, choke. I mean, there's no way. Well, I mean, I, I don't know how it works when you're in that state, but I mean, if, yeah, you're, me if your throat is just open. Relaxed. Yeah, yeah relaxed. She just, it just <laughs> goes, goes down the gullet, you know? <laughs> um, You'd be so good at chugging beer. Okay, just some, uh, yeah, some like little, call them like effects moments, score moments, whatever, just to get out of the way. Like in that last scene, the sunset scene, or sunrise scene, the finale, um, when she's, when he's holding onto the trunk and she's trying to get it back and she's breaking each one of his fingers one by one (laughs) individually. Uh, Love that. All of the wire work. Oh my God. So amazing. Tim, when he jumped for the first time, I think I like applauded, (laughs) you know, (laughs) it's just like so good. Like when he's hanging upside down from his feet, like a bat looking at like he opens her (laughs) bathroom window, like all of that wire work uh acrobatic stuff like whatever you want to call it is it like when she gets hit by the car that stunt is 
amazing. Mm-hmm. Like she spins in the air a bunch of times and lands. Like whoever did the stunt coordination on this movie is uh, they're unfucking real. I mean, it's uh, yeah, of course, incredible, so flawless. But what's I think what seals the deal with it is there's a specificity at any given time to how strong their how powerful their jump is. It looks like yeah. they can you know, we kind of get a sense for exactly how much there's, there's a vision behind it. You know, there's a kind of, um, unspoken rules. Like the director's yep. very aware, oh, they should be able to jump this high. It gives it this kind of, uh, realisticness, this validity. It's, oh, it's great. Well, and they, they even, they even give us a setup for it too, before she changes. Like when she first discovers he's a vampire and she kind of gets curious about it. Yeah. They're up on a roof and she sort of is going, oh, wait, you can do some crazy shit. Like, can you jump off this building? Is this too high? Like, how high is too high? And he's like, oh, no, let me do it. And so he like kind of shows off for her. But it's also a way for not only us, the audience, to get a sense of what is possible, but for him, the character, to kind of go, well, I've never really tried this. So let's see. And they and and it's. It's like it's, a it's like a date. I know why. <laughs> you know what I, I know mean? it's like. I know why you love it because it's kind of like Spider Man discovering his powers. You know? uh, yeah, <laughs> exactly. I, it's right. It's right in that zone of like it's exhilarating and it's discovery, but it's also us learning what is possible. Them learning what is possible, so that when later it comes up again, we're we're on board. Nobody's like, "Whoa, what?" That's this funny. Is I new. did read it a little differently, where it wasn't necessarily new to him. Like he had figured all this out. Now he was just showing her. I um, think that he had figured out that he can jump pretty high, but but this is this moment seemed like uh, he's testing his own limits because he's just, he wants to show off for her. Right, he's doing it for other reasons at this time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Fun. Which I love. And oh my God, Tim, like how that was shot where it's, I was so sold. Talk about just like convincing effects the way it's just, it, you just hold on her in close up in his arms mm-hmm. and yes. the background's moving, but just they nailed, it must've just been the lighting on her face just to yeah. totally sell the illusion. It, oh my, so incredible. Well, lead, and then like when we come back around to it later in the final act, when they're having their fight and they're really jumping from rooftop to rooftop, and then he hides over the edge of of the final rooftop, and she's she you know gets ready to jump, and he grabs her feet and smashes her <laughs> against the other building's like whatever edge. It's it's pretty it's pretty harsh <laughs> right like it's and then he's holding her like hanging upside down like it is it's brutal to watch mm-hmm. the um, makeup the makeup on that they had on her actually the makeup effects on a bunch of the scenes is fucking top notch too and when combining she, when she kills that mahjong guy for the first time she hits him in the neck and his head just like plops backwards that that was another one i wanted to mention Ooh. that <laughs> that, that specific effect shot whatever you call it like what sort of breaks the, it's what's it's so beautiful because it's what breaks the tension that we're building to essentially the whole movie of you know the violence that when she's acting out against the mahjong friends now yeah, yeah she punch punch uh punches him i guess in the head knocking it back like <laughs> oh my god then we're just off it's great 
that in that whole sequence where it's like he's not really being he's at the under end of the hallway the priest um uh i was i don't remember the name sang hon and um one of the mahjong players comes like running down the hall to escape and just sees him standing there uh, turns the other direction tries hiding in the closet there's a body already there tries going out the bathroom window oh my god <laughs> yeah and it's just that incredible play that we kind of see at the the last scene too, where Sang Hyun he's he's not doing it. He doesn't want to do anything outright. He's not necessarily stopping them, but he's not helping them. You know, he's just very stoic and just sort of um, letting it play out. Versus she's in full manic, like crazy right. schoolgirl mode. I don't know. Well, to a point though, because that then becomes the crux of the final act, mm-hmm. right? Because he fakes feeding on, uh, I forget her name, but the other woman at the Mahjong game. Evelyn. Evelyn, that's right. So he fakes feeding on her to save her. Mm-hmm. Right, um, right. It's smart. That, I, it got me. Did you Did you know that twist? Did you see that coming? at all. So good, right? Yeah. I did not see that. I, I was like, oh, <laughs> shit. Of course. I mean, once it happened, I was like, ah, yes. <laughs> right. Of course Duh. that's what's going on. What the fuck? <laughs> but that's the best kind, right? Like, shit. Yeah. So, um, but that that whole that whole misdirect, I guess you would say, from his point of view, like he misdirects hers to get her away. He's already decided. I think, honestly, that's why he's so chill when shit hits the fan is because right. he almost immediately just goes, okay, I know what I have to do. And he but knows what's about really to see that. And he knows what's about to play out. He knows he can't execute what he wants to do and try to stop her from killing people. Right. Yeah. Yeah, man. It's, it's like, you know what it's like? It's <sighs> like a real life, not so healthy relationship. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yet they do love each other on some level which is exactly. why they I've keep... had you know I'm I'm not I'm not uh you know I I I'm not you relate the, I I can relate yeah <laughs> <laughs> um I just I just want to uh, I'd be remiss to not just mark um or uh mark mark down for the records here i suppose just some little moments i just made me just so joyous and really just make the movie for me like just talking about you know pursuing potent possibilities what you can only do in this movie when he takes the the corkscrew on the swiss army knife oh my god yes (laughs) uses his vampire powers to straighten it out to straighten the corkscrew out to then stab the uh the other priest the other blind priest just that what a beautiful touch i mean and also remember like let's not let's not forget that he does shit like that he he's he's not good right right like he he's not just good just bad he's a whole mix of everything Talk about the the Catholic themes too, the body of Christ, the blood of Christ, totally, you know, drinking yeah. from him. Uh, I loved too, there's a funny little touch where a nod to, you know, vampires sleeping in coffins. He's sleeping in the, um, the cabinet or the dresser, <laughs> the clo- yeah, you yeah. know, the walk in the closet. Um, <laughs> I mean, also with the other pre, uh, the father, the first time <laughs> this is this is a pretty ballsy jump cut. We literally jump cut to the older blind priest with his hand inside of uh the lead Sanghyun Sanghyun's chest like and he goes, "Don't touch thy heart so hard." <laughs> right. 
<laughs> that yeah, beautiful touch. God um, damn, I loved loved. I think less a touch, but this was kind of the the scene, the moment for the movie for me. This is kind of just talk about God, like. I don't know. This is what I wanted from this movie. It, it captures everything about all the themes, encapsulation of everything. Do you know what I'm going to say, Tim? No. I'll just tell you. Okay, great. It was the dual feeding Arabaras scene where you have him feeding. She's feeding off of his blood, and he's feeding off of her blood in this this beautiful vampiric loop. Mm. Of of uh, God, talk about the relationship themes being a unit as one, yet also needing to be selfish to survive. Just the, yeah. the, they're they're doing it to they're immortal yet not. They're fighting off the. I mean, just God, you could go on, but I, I, that's yeah, why it's I so agree. good. It captures I, so much. I particularly love the sort of moment before of that too, when he has killed her. Mm-hmm. And he tries to cut his wrist open to feed her to bring her back. And his wrist keeps healing too fast. <laughs> yeah. That, dude, that kind of little shit like that, man. It just goes to show you, you can create conflict in the most sort of tiny ways that has huge implications. Yeah, yeah. Right? Well, and, and that's just consistent. the end all be all, but it's, it's just so good. And what's so good, too, is you, you both get that from and uh it's just following your your story world that you've built too like they could have just not included that like what what happens in the end is she must just also be chewing simultaneously on the cut to kind of just keep it going yeah but we know we've set up that that may be a question in your mind wait if he heals how is he doing that and then we show it and we get that little piece of conflict be consistent it's just it's just one more little hurdle I think Mm -hmm. that's actually a really good lesson in writing. When you want to ramp up the intensity of of any moment and you have like your kind of your main hurdle or or your main – the crux of the main – the thing that you're trying to accomplish, like the main conflict – anytime you can add these sprinkles of of little micro conflicts Mm -hmm. leading up to that. It's just going to enhance what's going on because all it's really doing is showing the domino effect of your character's struggle. Mm -hmm. And like you get to see you get to see them go, Jesus, like I'm just trying to do this one thing and you keep throwing more shit in my way. Stop it. Right. Just like any kind of good. uh, And they have to solve it. Any kind of good chase scene, fight scene, whatever. Yes. and it's, yeah, it's like, it's kind of like the reversal um, rules, right? Like, you know, it's, a it's see, I've solved this problem. Oh, shit. No, I haven't. Here, I'll yep. solve it this way. Oh, shit. No, that doesn't work. Oh, but this will work. Nope, shit. That won't work. It's great. I mean, that in a micro and macro sense is, I think, what good storytelling yeah. is. Not just, I guess, be more specific than good is if we're always, you're always bringing things further. It's like any good horror movie, like what the Scream movies do, what any self-aware horror movie totally. does. You, are, you have a sense of where movies are at. Um, yeah. the, the Green Room director, what's his face? You know, so good oh, with dude. just sort of, he's, I love those movies. he's tuned right into the moment that we expect yeah. a sort of hit or something to happen, you know? Yeah, he's great. I, I feel bad. I can never remember his name. Jeremy Solner? 
That sounds right. I think so. Um, I've seen three of his movies, and man, they're good. <laughs> there's a newest one. There are uh, the latest one I know of that came out on Netflix. I still haven't watched. Whatever came after Green Room. Oh, really? Oh, I'll look. Anyways, up. cool. Um, I got another scene in Thirst. I just had to. F- I felt like man, I'm just sitting up in my seat applauding. Was when we. I guess get that Spider-Man Marvel moment and is its own way of him uh, <laughs> feeling his superpowers for the first time, like where he lives in the, I don't think it's the hospital. I think it's kind of in where, wherever priests live. He like, he like starts hearing everything in the building. He hears like the rolling chairs being moved. Like they're oh, deafening. Yes. He hears the like laughing of the priests. Yeah. He hears someone flushing a toilet. And then my, <laughs> fa- my favorite that I just like, what I think causes him to like pass out. Oh my God. It's so good. Is like, we get supervision on his arm and see all these little dust mites crawling around. Oh yes. <laughs> yeah. What the fuck? That really tripped me out. I was like, I don't know what's happening right now. Well, vampire powers, Tim. <laughs> I know you've seen enough superhero movies that that was uh, the superhero scene for you. Uh, they, there will never be enough. <laughs> yeah. Um, God, I mean, I just go on a test about the F, but anything else, Tim, for you? Um. When he's playing the recorder and blood just pours through it. <laughs> right. <laughs> I, I mean, that was the first moment where I was like, oh, oh, we're right. going to, it's going to be this type of movie. Um, okay. All a right, little, cool. <laughs> I'm glad we, you know, got, we, we tipped our hat. You laid out, you know, um, actress, actor, uh, Kim Ok Bin, who plays Tai Ju, the young wife, the girl, the, the new girlfriend to Sang Hyun. But, um, Song Kang Ho, you know, Sang Hun in this movie, our main guy. He's kind of, I, I heard the, I've heard him called, he's the Tom Hanks of Korea in a lot of ways, where oh, he's, wow. people look at sure, him as I kind of this, that. kind of this adaptable everyman. Yeah. Um, I lent you Parasite Tin, you still got to watch that, but he's, yep. he's the, he's one of the stars in that. I might, ju- I might jump into that tonight, actually. <laughs> Great. He's, um, he's, you know, in, uh, in, um, in, uh, what, uh, what's the train one you just meant, uh, Snowpiercer too. He's in a bunch and yep. uh, you know, he's in a bunch of Channel Wook Park's other films, but. He's great. not the lead in Train to Busan, is he as well? I don't think so. I don't know. Um, I'm going to look him up. Anyway, he's. it was great hearing it. I, I really liked how the, the person doing the commentary described it. Or I think he was describing how another critic described his acting. But, you know, talk about this good eye, like good film acting. It's just all in the eyes and how much each of these two do with just their eyes. And they put it as like, it seems like each one of his eyes is doing a different thing at any given point. Like we're just getting so much from him. Yeah. Um, he's in the, he's in the other, not trained to be on the other big horror film, uh, host. The host. Yeah. 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 The host. Yeah. Um, that's what I've seen him in. Great. But I mean, just to, just to shout out he, him specifically he, too. Th- th- I'm telling you every, every, everybody in this movie, their acting is incredibly good. Right. I mean, for but oh, he, yeah. he and he, the two of the, the two leads are, they are head and tails above, like almost any acting you see nowadays. Right. Like, um, I'm sorry. I don't know how much of that is them. How much of it is acting? I'm sure it's all of the above. It's just, it's the high talent going on from all angles or i mean i didn't think you were gonna say them or the acting but just the the script and the direction i mean you have to have the material to to bring out 
these yep. things. Um, I mean, and then the the mother, Mrs. Ra, is uh, Kim Heist. She's fantastic. So you got to watch. She's in um, The Handmaiden. It is just so similar. Oh, and that, that very, <laughs> like, tight, fastidious, just, you know, to business. Yeah. Just, oh, it's so she's so great. Oh, uh, man. Yeah, excellent, and excellent. One, one other little moment that stands out is when they actually set this up by having him do it first when he picks the mother up in her chair. And, right. walk, and walks her to her room but then later when when the shit is sort of like being revealed at the mahjong game and she's like oh mom mom's tired time to go to bed and she just sort of absentmindedly picks her up in the chair and everybody goes whoa <laughs> really strong like what the fuck and she puts it down kind of like oh shit talk about that i mean yeah not just that i love of course every time they jump but yeah every time they lift something up and yeah. I, I, when when she's carrying her on the couch across, like I'm just like, how do you even do that? Like it's she all wire d- it, work, but it doesn't look like a. It's like where it's are the wires? <laughs> you know, even if paint even it if, out, man. No, no, no. But I mean, like, there's no, there's a, it's a very shallow ceiling. You <laughs> right, know, right? Like I'm just thinking Magic. of how you even accomplish. It's incredible. I love it. Yeah. Well, that brings me to my last sort of big thing. I think that. The ability for a director to write about such layered, heavy, thematic, meaningful, impactful, like deep stuff, and to also have such a keen sense of humor within that is, is I think, probably why, to me, it's what elevates him above almost anybody else is it's just incredible to me to be able to balance those things and yet give us these little touches of of humor to in a way it's it's masterful to break up how intense some of the stuff is right but in in true to form it's different from like when you always see that oh in, in horror you gotta break up the tension a bit yeah it's doing that but it's not like it's just this joke or a side or no. release moment they all these sort of any humor it is it is just intrinsic to whatever horror or with it whatever horror is happening That's it's right. in, inseparable from it it's not it's, so much a yeah. side it's still it's alleviates not a, joke. It a bit but it yeah it's circumstantial humor mm-hmm. which is is really hard to do a lot of the time like so a really good example obviously her lifting the chair <laughs> to me that's that's humor like that's a moment but it's it's funny because the character is 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 ha- kind of having the rug pulled out from under them they're making a mistake or they're you know they're getting you know they're the world turned left when they were trying to turn right kind of thing yeah and one of the other ones that i really really love is that final fight when around the car and they've kind of come to a point where he's thrown the trunk uh, whatever you call it door i guess into the water so that's done and then they cut to him back in the car and then they cut to her in shadow and we don't know where she is we're just like oh did she what does she do she jumped in the water where where is she and then he starts the car and starts moving it forward and we see her having dug a little ditch under the car yeah and gets revealed right like it's it's so simple but it's so like her expression of "God damn it," <laughs> <laughs> right, is brilliant stuff. Right, it's just it's constantly 
uh, subverting the expectations of the character. And I think that's where the humor lies. Because we're just on the ride, but we're watching them get disappointed by things. Or, or, you know, whatever. The... uh... I just got to mention the visceralness of whenever they are slurping blood is just, well, it's so visceral. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's, yeah. God, the, the sound, the design throughout. Um, it's the last little theme at play that I always appreciate. And it's, it's so hard to even mention it that way because it's kind of in everything. But just the idea of us being stuck in patterns and cycles and yeah. wanting to break out of them. But we see that in, I love how we see that with um, her situation She's and she's trapped in this abusive household, but we see that the mother is stuck in her abusiveness. Like we see that tied. It's interesting. We see that the way that she finishes her work day, where it's like, oh, six thirty, time to you know, work's done, shifts over, you know, and they they have a the live in shop or the shop that's part of their house. It's just like she's so. We we just get like she's not going to change this woman, you know, easily. That's right. Give point. She's, and then she's locked into her regiment, right? And that's and, that. That's and her world. Just to see that then in the priest world too of being a priest exactly. all these years and being repressed, but his, the way his repression is different, like how we said, but a way we see that play out is where he's. Uh, like slapping his thighs with a ruler or whatever. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, that's a different Ooh. way to do it. But when, then when he talks to the blind priest and the priest is not too different from him and, you know, wanting yeah. to be out of his own rut, it's just, yeah. Well, know. to bring it all around, it is the thirst is actually a really good title for this, for that reason, right? Because what it sort of broadly, this movie is talking about is, the kind of like when you think of thirst, it's like there is a need within that. It's not just, you know, I'm thirsty, right? Like I just I want a drink. It's like I I, I have thirst is is sort of a deeper need. Which and we these, get when they're slurping the blood. Yeah. Right. And they're there thirsty. Are all the different aspects of having thirst, right? Like the other priest has a thirst for not being blind and for like not like like being well again. He's like doesn't want to be sick. You know, the girl has a thirst for not being abused and she she actually says at some point, "Oh, what is it?" Um I mean, she says they treat her like a dog, but I don't know. Right, right. She sort of has a thirst for this like passion that she hasn't been allowed to have. Yeah, both of them. Um, you know, and like there there's that all around. I know it's not the actual title, the original title, but it is a really smart title for the movie. Um, anyway. Yeah. And we all see that again when uh, the the repercussions at play, when you thirst too hard, you know, if the shoes are that new way of life, they've finally broken out of the cycle. In the end, it's also their demise. Yep. Yeah, it's a good movie. Great. Well, let's see if there is anything that did not work for us. In our next section, what did not work? She's not ready yet. Seems to work okay. No, something important's missing. What did not work? <laughs> I mean, I kind of already said it, uh, but again, it's like, whatever, and I don't think this is going to be stick, but on this second viewing, which was still 10 years off, so it wasn't like so much a, a second viewing, but like, yeah, I already said, like, it felt like we're... 
there there wasn't so much of that sense of like you know the the, the horror movie of like The Shining. You know, it's it's a slow burn, but you but it's burning hard. You feel it's building towards something. This one, yeah. it didn't really have that so much. And but you know now after the fact, so so I was like a little. You know, it did feel long, maybe when watching it this time. But now it's like that. I've thought about it and I'm into it, and just see how rich it all is. I I see there's still enough going on. I think you know, I don't know. Yeah, I would almost say that in a way, this feels like mm, it almost kind of has an element of like it's two movies. Because mm-hmm. like you you could and there have been many <laughs> movies that are really just the story of two people feeling trapped and and agreeing to murder the person that they feel is in the way throw mama from the train <laughs> yeah i mean that's that's a pretty standard you know i think one of my favorite versions of that story is a place in the sun i haven't seen it oh dude it is <laughs> so fucking good um it's from the i think it's from the late 40s early 50s i don't remember exactly it's got elizabeth taylor and montgomery cliff and uh i believe it is shelly winters as well Mm. a young very young shelly winters and she is incredible anyway that is in in and of itself a really good story and has you know it, it that movie exists within this movie mm-hmm. <laughs> and you could almost be okay with with that like it 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 would have been effective i thought honestly that the movie was over when she died mm. i was like oh this this could actually be the end of the movie it was like an hour left still though right no uh, no i looked there was 40 minutes left okay so I was like, oh, cool. Like, I was like, man, a lot has a lot has happened up to this point. Like, is it the end? So I like looked at how much was left. And I was like, oh, whoa, no, that's not even close. Um, so, you know, there's a lot going on. And in a way, I'm almost, you know, like traditionally you would say it's like three act structure kind of thing. This really feels more like the five act structure kind of version of things. Um, not to get too down the rabbit hole of like that kind of shit, but like. There's a lot going on and they and they play it out. And I'm not saying that that's it didn't work, but the first bit was very confusing to me. You know, and I almost feel like for all of the efficiency that he has as a director. I think you could shave some more stuff down and not really lose much. Yeah, so. It's I think not, get, I getting know. it under two hours, I don't know, it'd, it'd make me more likely to watch it sooner. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But I will say it was cool going from a movie thinking, oh, revisit it every 10 years, definitely want to make that a, a, five, a, a three, five-year turnaround now when I revisit yeah. it again. <laughs> so there's only one thing in this entire movie that really I don't understand and I think is totally unnecessary and by that token effectively didn't work for me. There's one scene where she's having sex with one of the other Mahjong players. Mm-hmm. What the hell is going on? Like, what? I just don't understand it. It doesn't... To me, it doesn't... <laughs> oh, hey, Sixto. To me, it doesn't say any... Like, I don't know what it's 
accomplishing by being there. Okay, I mean, I it, it was supposed to be his exact motivation for when he starts acting violent against her. That's what causes it. But he... Does he, when does, I don't, I don't, it just didn't feel like it, it came together. Does he, how does he find out that that's happening? Um, he smells it on her, I think. Oh, shit. Okay. That's what he's smelling. Yeah. So he, that's what sort of what causes his, uh, jealous freak But then why does out. he go after, ah, uh, yeah, it just, mm, it just didn't quite it it was a little too obtuse for me. I think it just I'd obviously I'll watch it again and then be like, okay, fine, it makes sense. <laughs> right exactly. <laughs> but so in this single viewing, first time viewing, I right. really was baffled by it, and I was like, what is why why is that even there? I don't get well, it. Well, I mean, maybe yeah. Again, you watch it again, maybe you'll see. Oh, this I don't know how else he would have gotten to act this way, even if it maybe it's cheap or whatever. But like, I thought it was more he was acting that way more because of the, you know, her being like her cutting herself and saying that that's that that's her husband abusing her. That's comes earlier. I think pretty separate. Yeah, that's true. I um, that's what oh, and that's man, I forgot to mention one thing of that was amazing. <laughs> what? <laughs> Her little plier scissor things. Oh, right. Come on. Like that whole sequence of her like sweeping it down towards his mouth. That uh-huh. goes on for about six swipes more than I was comfortable with. And I was like, <laughs> I don't want to see this happen. Like, please don't do it. That's like the best horror moment in the entire movie. Right. And then comes back too <laughs> when the ghost anyway. is doing it to her. So good. Yeah. Yeah, I don't really have anything else. Right. I mean, and that's the it's funny just, thing about this is like anything that we have, it's like, uh, I don't know. I mean, is that a good or a bad thing? If the more times you see it, the things that you might have had an issue with in the previous viewing takes you out of it. Like, like how much should a movie right. be good on the first view or work completely on a first viewing versus that's then right. only working on a second? That's like an interest. That's kind of a pretty subjective question, you know? Yeah, and I do actually quite like having questions after I watch a movie. Right. And things right. to to try and parse but this together. Wasn't, and... This wasn't just a question. This was just like uh, it was it was a bit it was a bit more than just like a oh, how did that fit together for you that example? It was like a what? That took me out of it, you know. That's true. And, I mean, and, the and, other thing that I was a little confused about was toward the end when he takes her out and then he goes and gets into the tent outside of the monastery or whatever. Yeah. And then gets caught. I was just kind of, I was confused. Like what, why did he do that? <laughs> like what Wait, did that, that accomplish? That was another one of my favorite scenes. He was trying to end their, their religious worship of him by showing he was a flawed person. It was great. He okay. Was, okay. Th- I kind of, that was my sense of it, but I was not a completely like sold I, that that's what was happening. I really loved that, that because it's just, was so satisfying. Well, first it showed that the priest is like, he's, he wants to, before he kills himself, sort of, you know, finish all his last sort of, you know, I don't know, just, just take care of any unfinished business. Yeah. And to, to rather than leave all these people false worshiping him, uh, he found a very efficient way to make them stop. But then he flies away. Then they're just going to be like, who cares what he just did? He just flew. 
I don't know if uh, you'd be so forgiving. <laughs> I think watching somebody fly away might kind of be enough to to distract you from the be like, well, he's kind of a jerk. Be like, that guy just flew. It's more than a jerk thing he was doing. Um, True. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. Great. All right. Well, then let's uh, let's close to wrapping it up here. Let's move on to things of note. This should be interesting. Well, we know it was loosely based on the 1867 novel Teresa Raquin by Emile Zola. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but cool, that's an 1867 novel. And I and then the commentary, so I watched a commentary that was just some some film writer, critic, horror movie fan guy. And he did say one of the similarities was the that ending of of uh, being out in the sun, killing themselves. Mm-hmm. Well, did you have anything? I have a few things just from that commentary. Mm, no, not really. So the film won the jury prize at the 2009 Cannes Film Festival. Um, Shocking. The film was a... Uh, Mar- oh, Martin, which we've covered on our show, another vampire film, yes. or the sort of, uh, you know, quote unquote vampire film. Uh, that was an inspiration point for this, oh, apparently, a specific cool. inspiration point. I'm sure all vampire movies, you know, are in a sense, but for whatever reason, that was the one that the critic mentioned, the filmmaker mentions. Um, thought it was interesting. Park Chan Wook was actually, you know, surprise, surprise, raised Catholic. And it was thanks to kind of movies, pop culture, uh, you know, lured him out of that life. But um, we see that, you know, explored a lot in this movie. And it was interesting, the, 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 the guy giving the commentary was like, oh, this is, inter- is, is Catholicism and Christianity, is that big in Korea? It turns out that like Korea is home to the, the most mega churches, I think Whoa. he said. And like the percentage is pretty high there of um, I forget exactly what it is sorry but of um, whether it's uh, Catholic or Christian I don't know but yes uh, the, a, a bigger presence than you'd expect was the point. Interesting. Um, the this was the first mainstream Korean film to feature full frontal male nudity. Oh yeah, we got a dick. I you know <laughs> I look Woo! I'm gonna be honest I'm I'm on board for the campaign for more penises in film. Always great, right? Yeah. I mean, it's just, look, stop being so, like, one-sided and sexist about it. Like, it's just a penis. Calm down. Like, we get it in midsummer, it's fine. Right. Like, it's it's appropriate. Like, just take a fucking chill pill, everybody. Well... You've been looking at boobs for fucking ever. I mean, yes, you are speaking to absolutely the general where things are at but um interesting yeah this this it took korean film as much as to get to this but i feel like i've seen plenty of dicks in american films you know throughout the the ages again not comparing (laughs) here's the thing if they aren't mainstream and they're current kind of certain kind of film i feel like yeah i i don't know i feel like that trend that you're talking about there is a delineation between type of film or filmmaker yep you know where it's the mainstream films that really that's that sort of, you know, the, <laughs> yeah, less penises, more boobs. Um, right, right. <laughs> but no, other filmmakers, I don't know, other 
horror film. Yeah, whatever. You get my point. Um, no, it exists. Sleepaway Camp exists. <laughs> lots of others. <laughs> anyway, um, oh, and uh, I said, yeah, the the commentator he said that Korean horror movies they didn't really like Chinese. He was comparing it to Chinese horror movies. You had some as far back as like the '30s, kind of more reflective of the rest of the world. He said Korean horror movies. Maybe there were a few examples here and there, but as far as a movement, didn't really start until around 1990 or the 90s. So again, I mean, kind of on par with what it took them to get to showing penises, but kind of, um, yeah, it took a while in that sense. Wow. Hmm. I've got something of note. Yes. Did you notice that our lead went from very black clothing to white clothing throughout the film? No, I did not. Very much like another film we watched, The Transfiguration. Oh, yeah. Huh. The Transfiguration that happens. <laughs> yep. The opposite of, or yes, yeah, the same way the apartment goes from dark to white. Oh, yep. my last thing to note, that shirt that um, that she, uh, Taiju, is wearing, I think the first one we see her in, it's like this sort of muted maroon uh, green, blue with kind of elongated circle patterns. Looks very 70s. That's like my favorite shirt ever. I loved it. Anyway, just a little fashion. Just note. as a shirt? Yeah. <laughs> that's that's the one? That's, oh my God, I just love wow. that shirt so much. Cool. <laughs> look, at, look at it again. Oh, it's like, what a cool shirt. Great. All right, Tim. That's I it. I dig it. For Thirst 2009. We did it. What a good film. <sighs> Yeah, uh, it's a uh, motivation. Watch more, uh, see, round out his oeuvre we haven't seen. All oh, right, yeah. well, any recommendations in the meantime? Oh my God, Ryan, are you kidding me? No, or are you, you kidding me? Tell me about it. Did you finally Love... watch uh, I Saw the Devil? No. <laughs> <laughs> I watched the first episode of Love Lovecraft Country, and it is everything you could possibly ever want. I also thoroughly loved it, but I will not make it my recommendation. Have you seen oh, the second my... episode? No, I'm waiting because my friend and I are going to watch together. So, All right, well, I'll hold my tongue. Dude, it's fantastic. I agree. So I'm, uh, I'm on board just because of the first episode alone still, but we have a lot more to come. Yeah, I can't wait. <laughs> Great. Cool. I'm glad you dug it. No, it did really well. Just the allure of the mist. It did all the love, perfect Lovecraft things of the like opening scene. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was like, so completely taken off guard by it and was like, oh, oh, th we're doing this is a totally different thing than I thought we were going to do. <laughs> no. what? And I love right. it. No, what just had me is that that classic setup. You get the letter from the father and have to go, and there's just sort of hints of this Lovecraftian thing at play, Ugh. and got to go figure it out. And then the ends show up at the mansion, and here our journey begins. Oh, it's so good. Yep, agreed. Uh, just looking back on my my letterbox diary here, I uh, revisited for the first time in a while. I have um, uh, the Naked Kiss. On Blu-ray, have you heard of that? The Sam Fuller movie? I don't think so. Sam Fuller, he's great. If you haven't seen him, like I've just seen, I've only seen White Dog and The Naked Kiss. Um, mm -hmm. But boy, this is one that I saw in film school. 
and when and I think the class was uh, high low filmmakers. Sure. But he uh, this film it sort of takes a, a pulp story, but then applies the the high aspects to it as well. Um, it's it's great. I don't know what to say about it. It's got a you know I love those those odd centerpiece musical numbers. This has one of those best ones. <laughs> what year is it? 1964. Oh, okay, cool. Let's see. Yeah, this is a good way to put it. The little description. A former prostitute discovers that her philanthropic fiancé is involved in perversion. That's a gentle way to put it. But just the setting is so unique. The Mm. main character, the woman. uh, It's like really, really heavy stuff going on in this 19, you know, difficult subject matter stuff going on in this 1964 um, film. Anyway, Tim, you haven't seen it. You should see it. The Naked Kiss. Okay. Great. I'm into it. All right. I love I I love both those things. <laughs> Great. <laughs> awesome. All right, it's uh your turn to pull? I think so. All right, next week's episode it's going to be Oh, it's a long one. All right. <clears throat> oh. It's Trouble Every Day. It's 2001, and this was submitted by Dan from Spook Squad. Oh, great. If you're listening, Dan, hey, thanks for the for, thanks for the submission. Yeah. Trouble Every Day. Trouble Every Day. I've never heard of this. Great. 2001? Yep. Cool. All right. I know he's into, I think I was asking him about maybe some uh, extreme movies. I don't know if it was specifically French New or the French Extremity oh, Movement. Yeah, that'd be that era, right? But something around there. I remember cool. I was asking him for recommendations. Great. I'll look forward to seeing it uh, next week on Dismembering Horror. You know, you can watch it and join us in the meantime you can find us wherever you found us or at dismemberinghorror.com if you enjoyed this we ask you to please tell a friend a like-minded friend you should tell them <laughs> great <laughs> if that's if that's it's that's all you have else tim then i will say in closing we do mean it thanks so much for listening yes and we will see you next time goodbye, goodbye. Ha, 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 ha.